Hello, welcome to the first episode of the ISH Pedagogical Podcast, Keeping It Simple, Watching Our Language and Creating Responsive Classrooms. We'll be hearing from the ISH Book Club about the book they've just read, uh, Mark Hentz's Teach Like Nobody's Watching. Um, we'll be hearing from Des O'Sullivan about how we can use active listening in our classrooms and the importance of doing so. And we will get some recaps from our recent PD day um, from James Dalton and Susan Cover about the sessions they ran, raising attainment for DP2 students and creating responsive classrooms. I hope you get some ideas from the podcast that you can apply to your own teaching and everyone involved in this episode has given their blessing to be contacted and also you will see some links to um, websites and uh, files in the, um, the description of the podcast where you can find out more about some of the ideas. It's not been easy to record it remotely so please do forgive um, some of the slight delays in the episode or if the sound quality is not great I apologise in advance and once we're back in the building hopefully this will be a little easier to do. So let's get on with the episode and the first section here is the ISH book club discussing the book they've recently read. So, Hello. hi Claudia, hi Susan. Um, we, we have the ISH Book Club here uh, to discuss what we've most recently been reading, which is a book called Teach Like Nobody's Watching by Mark Enser, who is a, is a teacher, geography teacher in the UK. Um, so to start with, I think it would be good if we could summarise our kind of overall impression of the book in one sentence. Uh, so sure, Susan, do you want to start with that? Be, it was helpful and practical in terms of giving me new ideas, but also reminding me of good practice in an easy to access format. It was very readable. Great. That's, that sounds good. And Claudia, yeah, how, 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 how did you find the book? Um, I was pleasantly surprised and also um, surprised that it brought back some of the things I had been doing a, a long time ago. And then, you know, I could totally relate to, oh, this is the latest fad and this is the, that's the newest thing you have to do as a teacher. But going back to the roots, that made me feel, it made me feel really good. Yeah, I'd have to agree with you on that. Yeah, but, you know, stuff you were doing. Yeah, yeah. So the kind of the the core belief of the book that that Claudia has touched upon there is that teaching at its core is simple. To do it well isn't simple, but that to some extent teaching is intuitive, um, and it's something we are naturally able to do. And as teachers, perhaps we overcomplicate that. Um, Claudia, so it sounds like you were kind of convinced that actually, yeah, this this belief is true and yes. that teaching is simple. Um, and that it's true that sometimes we teach because um, this is what we have to do, that's what someone tells us to do, or yes, someone is watching us and wants to see our results and therefore we're not truly teaching like we should or the way that is actually best for the students but best for it looks good on the outside like I think there's example here was creating this elaborate project and it looked on the outside it looked really great and they're constructing something and they're doing something but then in the end what did they learn yeah yeah 
Susan, I had you in mind as I was reading the book because I know you are somebody who often posts articles and kind of new ideas and things like that. Um, what's, what's your view on that kind of, because he's very dismissive of new ideas, calling well, you know, them fads. Um, How did you feel about that? One comment about the original question was, you know, I really struggled to read this book because of the title, Teach Like Nobody's Watching. For me, I'm really sad a lot of the time that we aren't more open and more collaborative in our school. So, so I mean, the articles and stuff I'm posting, I don't think they're fads. I think they support a lot of the stuff we read in the book and a lot of things that we know are good practice and just given us the chance to remind ourselves of those things. Like, I mean, I, I, a lot of the stuff I post, it's not because I think, oh, that's a new bandwagon. A lot of the times it's just a reminder of what we should all be doing. And I think it's easy to forget because we are pretty departmentalized and pretty shut away from each other in our school. So I, I agree with a lot of this, these ideas yeah. of the fatty stuff, but I wouldn't call most of the ideas I post as a fad. It might be integrating technolo technology into things we know are good practice or, or ways to make our jobs easier. So I think a lot of it, ties right in with what he says. So it's the kind of idea that we're doing something because it's good teaching and learning and not because it's what we think we should be doing as exactly. kind of the latest trends in education. That's, that's really interesting. Um, so the book is split into three sections, uh, split into the lesson, the curriculum and the wider school. And I thought for the purposes of what we're doing here, whilst the other two, the, the curriculum and the wider school are, are really useful too, I think this podcast focuses on pedagogy. So I think the lesson section of the book is probably what we'll talk about most. Um, and, and then the lesson is broken down in the book into four parts further. So there's the recap phase, the input phase, the application phase, and the feedback phase. Um, and and from, from me reading it, I, I, I found the recap was actually really rewarding. Um, what about the recap? Um, do you think you'll take well, away for your own teaching? Susan, would you like to start that? Two of us, but yeah, I find that so useful to remember the recap stage. And what I've been doing in my remote lessons is just saying, okay, everybody tell me one thing that we did last lesson that you can remember or a phrase or a concept and everybody types it and we don't, we don't hit send until everybody's ready because then I know that they're pulling it out of their own brains and it really takes the onus off of me, you know, creating Oh, okay. Oh, on me. Recap might have is lost that. Susan. Their heads. There. Right. So, kind of you ensuring that they're not necessarily just going to the notes or something like that, that they are actually looking for and and recapping yep. and revisiting yep. that in their own in their own memory. Is that right? Mm -hmm. Great. And Claudia, how about you as a as a language teacher, I guess the what you're looking for is different to me and Susan as humanities teacher. How do you think uh, you might yeah, take I've these ideas of recap into your lessons? Thinking about it, trying to implement it because it it reminded me of yes, of course, this is so important. And yeah, I don't know. Over the years, yeah, I, I kind of forgot. Um, just thinking, oh yeah, you know, students will get it. Um, 
but yeah, they do need to recap and well, the, what I encounter now when I'm when I ask them, okay, so tell me, um, we studied you know, prepositions last time. What can you tell me? And then it is absolutely quiet and nobody answers. Um, and that is, of course, not what I wanted. But I'm I'm glad Susan talked about it that she's having students type it because that's less, I guess, less less threatening uh, instead of having, having to talk in front of everyone. Um, uh -huh. And I think. I mean, this book gives great ideas for when we're in the classroom. And right now we have to be make our own adjustments because we're teaching online. Yeah, I I use the the type feature because it makes this cool little waterfall down the side in their messages. But yeah, they they're they can't you could do it in two rounds. You know, they could type first and then like try to add on to everything they wrote by speaking. Because, yeah, I mean, this remote learning is tough. I'm trying to make sure that every student speaks. But yeah, it's hard. <laughs> mm -hmm. And as well, something that I think is a really strong point of the book is that there, with all this kind of theoretical of input of recap and the way our schemas work and our long-term memories work, he does give ideas and practical ways you can implement that in your lesson. So I think I will keep diving back into the book to, to see those because he gives so many ideas. They're quite quite hard to remember and one that I really liked was um, it's fine to direct a question to a student because the idea that you know if you ask a student a question nobody else thinks of the answer because they know who needs to answer it whereas if you aren't ask the question to the whole class and then pick your student you've given them time to revisit it and to recap it um, but that's one thing I've tried to to bring in as well ask the question first yeah. and one thing and with the remote learning like that, uh, i read that was interesting was you ask the question then you ask everybody to raise their hand if they think they know the answer i mean and you give wait time speaking of trends then you go back and you say okay keep your hand up or raise mm -hmm. your hand now if you want to be the person to answer the question okay so it's i mean little tricks like that mm -hmm. are things i hadn't thought about so um yeah i think it's really important that we keep going as you said keep going back yeah. to the book that well best practice full stop mm -hmm. yeah yeah absolutely there's loads of ideas in there so this uh the ensa's view of teaching being simple at its core is very much based on the idea of the kind of knowledge authority and the teacher being the knowledge authority in the room and and perhaps a more didactic view than we might be used to to say you know what it's fine to stand at the front and talk um, that's gone out of fashion in favor of a more um, kind of exploration and the teacher being the facilitator rather than the knowledge giver um, I was wondering with NYP there may be some conflict there. How did you feel about that, Claudia? Did you feel that some of these ideas might be difficult to bring into NYP yeah, with the focus on inquiry or not? I a little bit torn because I do believe in, you know, students discovering some knowledge themselves, but I also strongly believe that the teacher, the teacher needs to facilitate. I mean, the teacher needs to teach and <laughs> just stand in front of the class and talk and give them some valuable input. Um, and I think even in MYP, that is um, possible. So that's funny because when you explained that question you. just now, I was like, 
Oh, that's what he meant. Because I was only thinking about the uh, the fact that um, the MYP, you know, requires us all, us as teachers to all collaborate and work together. So that side of it, I was saying, no, no, no. He promotes collaboration. But I see what you're saying about the idea of the stage, the sage on the stage, right? And I think mm -hmm. I think it is. I agree with Claudia and you. Yeah, um, yeah. Please. There is. A tendency in the MYP, you know, to make your project, you know, you give them the key idea or the question or the statement of inquiry and they say, okay, go research it. And I think this book gives us that permission to, no, you don't need to have everything be a huge research project. You can have them get a lot of the ideas and the information from you practicing their, you know, their listening skills and then they apply that. So I think it, I think it can mesh well with a, with a true MYP program. But that's funny, the question, the way I had thought about it previously and how we discussed it just now, I thought it was interesting to watch that change. Mm. And I think uh, in the UK, there was a big shift towards the teacher not talking, you know, and, and you hear stories and I've, I've sort of experienced this of people when observing a lesson start a stopwatch and you should only be talking for a tiny proportion of the lesson, etc. But actually, you know, the teacher is the person with the knowledge and we know what we want them to learn. Uh, so so right. I, I guess I suppose there's a balance to, um, to be found. There. Like, I don't think a huge lecture, like a, for a sixth grader, a 60 minute lecture, they're not going to get that. But if you, I, I think it's valuable to, you know, lecture or discuss and then have them do something like that and then circle back to lecture, discuss again, just so it's interspersed and not a huge chunk of talking. But yeah. I think there's obviously, you know, we need to be, um, and I think our school, could, well, I could do a better job of spending more of my efforts to give them that knowledge and then have them work on it. I kind of got lazy yeah. about it. And I think I, I, li I like a quote from mm. the book where it says, teach, not talk. So, you know, you're not standing in front of them talking, but you're actually teaching. So there's a difference. Exactly. And that is, that's okay to do that, to instruct them. And he, he even goes as far to say, you know, you might even have almost what is a script planned before. And so you know exactly what you need to say and how you're going to say it. And the art of teaching being in the explanation and that we are good explainers and we're able to explain things. Um, having said that, I think um, this it. online learning has given me the chance to practice that because it, a lot of times I will. I'll have it outlined. And well, actually, I used a long time ago, I did that for lessons. But now, I'll, especially with like teaching ninth grade history, which is obviously not my forte, I mean, I'll have a whole outline and examples and stuff on notes. And I know, like, Mr. Dove. He he's he's a true historian, but he goes into lessons with massive piles of notes and ideas and examples. So yeah, I think it's important. Mm, yeah, agreed. Um, another section in the book. So we've got this this four parts: recap, input, application, and feedback. Um, the feedback section again. I've I've taken some ideas from this, and I'm starting to apply them now. We're doing grade twelve mocks. Um, was there anything, Claudia, uh, that you took hmm. from the feedback section that you're looking to Let implement? Oh, here's the feedback. Okay. Um, oh, there was actually a question I had 
uh, was it the feedback? Uh, let me just double check here. Um, no, that was not the feedback. Mm. Yeah, no, sorry. I, I don't think I was, I didn't write down any notes here um, um, about the feedback. Mm. <laughs> sorry. <laughs> that's, that's okay. It's like yeah. we said, this is a book you dip back into, right? You kind of, there's so many ideas that to to comprehend it in one read through is, is not going to happen. It's something we're going to dip like, back um, into. Susan, what, how about I'm you look, for feedback? I'm looking at um, in page 83 actually about um, one thing is I try not to have them look at the mark first. Um, you know, I think our kids are really not in, like, mm -hmm. I think any, any student just wants the mark and move on. But I think give them the feedback without a grade on it or um, give them uh, the redraft and then they move forward. Um, I, I don't know. I think in our school, we feedback's a tough one because I think mm -hmm. we kind of skip over that right into the summative task. But I do like his whole, you know, oh, one thing I really like, whole class feedback. Where, But I don't think our, I like our kids to be able to listen to that and then apply it to their own work. And I tried this one in a lesson the other day. And I explained issues I was seeing with um, essays. And like I said, you know, the outline looks like this. And I showed them the outline. And some of you wrote, um, a different format of essay you you tried to refute every point and we weren't looking for that for this essay and i thought it was very clear whose essay i was talking about and but i was giving the feedback anonymously to everybody to try to encourage them all to look at the outline and then the student in question said did you read my paper i'm like oh my gosh you didn't notice that that's the paper i was discussing <laughs> then no no clue that the paper that was in question was hers <laughs> so yeah I, I like group feedback i like um formative that really gives them a chance to improve it before it's actually a grade Yeah, that's exactly the same as me. So marking these mocks right now, what I plan to do is give class feedback and they see what applies to their own work. And I think that process of saying, well, he said some people did this. Did I do that? And, and really reflecting and kind of going through it in detail before they even get a grade could be really powerful because otherwise they've seen the grade. They're looking at the feedback, right, right. but what's really in their head is I got a five, I got a five. Um, so that's one we're trying as well. But I can see myself using that more with DP actually than, than with NYP. Um, but yeah, it'll take some thinking about how, you know, how we could do that a bit more of NYP as well, because ultimately they tend to make the same mistakes, right? We tend to write the same thing lots of times, link back to the statement of inquiry or whatever it might be. So if we're getting them to think, did I link back to the statement of inquiry? That could potentially provide much better learning. Um, are there are there any? Is there anything that either of you two wanted to discuss? Is, are there any questions that came up for you that you would like I, to? I know you. To go back you know, to? we were talking a lot about the lessons and feedback. Sorry, Claudia, do you want to go first? I'm I'm kind of being a podcast. Well, that's fine. Go ahead. Well, the last section about the leadership and department meetings and and work uh, as groups. That for me was really really where I'd love to see us move toward. Like. Um, having meetings where we discuss as departments what we're what we're talking about and 
Am I still there? Oh, okay. I'm still there. My laptop. Oh, I was worried about mm. But like, you know, playing yeah, a game yeah, in yeah. your department like that. Um, just a minute where you talk about what you're doing. Because I mm -hmm. think if we could all work together better, we could improve our practice. We could improve our relationships with each other and the students. And we could, you know, make our curriculum maps flow better for everybody. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I agree. And, and lots of this stuff, particularly when he's talking about schemas and the importance of kind of the students being experts in the subjects, but also transferable skills, lots of this stuff doesn't necessarily work in isolation. And if we're all kind of working from the same page and having more time to discuss how this all fits yeah, together. I agree, yeah, I I agree too. I think right. I'm, I'm, that's what I'm going to suggest to our head of department um, before our department meetings. Yeah, please. Let's just take yeah, just a minute to share something, something really positive yeah, we, that other people can yeah. use. Yeah, we've done a lot of things. I mean, yeah, in other schools, I've done a lot of that. Mm. Um, one criticism I have of this book as a non-Brit <laughs> was all of his little uh, abbreviations and acronyms and stuff. I kept having to double check what in the world he was talking about because I, you know, I've never taught. I, in Mujan, my school was British-based, but that was over 20 years ago. So I haven't been in a British school, and a lot of the stuff he says, I mm -hmm. hadn't heard of. And then he and then he immediately turned it into a, a an abbreviation or an acronym, and then I didn't know what he was talking about. But, yeah, overall, <laughs> even at the CPD, I was like, calm, yeah. cardiopulmonary desuscitate. I was like, and I, I mean, he mentions <laughs> it in its full term on the yeah, that's just me. I didn't know it was called continuing development, but yeah. Uh, I think I think it's very much intended at a British audience, but you're right. It's uh, yeah, but it, it's not, but I, not particularly yeah, helpful I mean, so to just assume people know what they are. What we're doing, and I love. I would love to share the whole. You know, how do you use your department meetings? How do you share ideas out with a, a common culture? That's what we need. I would love that. Page 149. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah. I've got sticky notes. We'll fold it over for other people to read. Too. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. If we're supposed to keep diving back into it, how are we going to share these books with somebody else? <laughs> no, we won't. <laughs> well, they'll, they'll be in the staff side. room. Um, but yeah. Uh, we might need to take a few photocopies before we hand them over, I think, the bits we like. Because, like I say, you know, there's in a section, there could be 10 different strategies that you can you can use. So, yeah, it's something you need to, to look back over. Claudia, um, is there anything you wanted to, yeah, to ask I don't know or to add? I'm, I mean, I had sometimes I had the same issues as um, Susan, like a lot of British references to the British school system. Um, and also I was thinking like, whoa, these teachers, what? The, you know, marking all these books and turning them in, I thought, whoa, I'm glad we don't have to do that. Yeah, <laughs> um, yeah one question, I don't, and I don't know if that is super relevant, mm -hmm. and if you guys don't know, that's fine too. Um, he's talking about interweaving and interleaving, and I was not sure what exactly interleaving is. So I don't know if you guys remember, but if you don't, that's fine. It's on page I have to say, I might have skimmed over some of that stuff a bit because I, I had enough other. Let's see. 
I'm not sure on the difference. I know there's been a lot of talk, again, coming out of the UK, of curriculum kind of um, going back to, to it's, in, it's kind of a form of recap, right? So do you, you, you may be studying, um, I don't know, climate change, to use a geography example, and then you may have a unit on resource management, and you might go back to the idea of kind of energy sources and fossil fuels and things like that. So your curriculum is designed in a way that you will revisit things you've already done. Um, I don't know whether that is interweaving or interleaving. Um, yeah, but that's what I, that's what, as yeah, I read I that, that's that what I thought you were talking about, actual, but I could be wrong there. Which is which and which one, you, even which one do you like better? Like I, I, I do think it's always good to, yeah, I don't know which one's which either, Claudia, you're right. I'll put a post-it note there and keep looking at that. Yeah. Yeah, that's something for us to inquire about further. Okay. Great. No, I was just going to say thanks. Well, <laughs> thank Go on. Oh, yeah. Thank you. Thank you for your time and thank you for engaging with the book. They will be in the staff room um, whenever we can get them back, whenever we are back uh, for other people to read. Um, and it sounds like you would both give your endorsement for the book as something that is yeah, uh, and that book is clubs useful in general. For, this was for great. I did practice. some with Howard when he was here, but it was with parents. No other teachers joined. So hmm. thanks for setting this up. Mm -hmm. Great. No, no problem at all. And, and uh, I'll, an email will be coming out in the oh. next few days about the next book that we'll, okay. we'll be reading. So, yeah. We'll see what that is. Thanks a lot. Thank you. Great. Bye. Bye. Thank you, guys. Bye. Bye. See you soon. Bye. So you can hear from the book club there. We thoroughly recommend that book. Um, it's a super easy read. And there will be four copies in the staff room um, for you to have a look at. And now we're going to move on to, to speak to James Dalton about his session, Raising Attainment for DP Students at the recent PD Day, and yeah, what he got from that and how we can apply some of those um, ideas to our own teaching of the Grade 12 DP2 students. Hi James, thanks for taking the time to talk to the podcast today. So your session was called Raising Attainment for DP2 Students. Could you tell us a bit more about what your aims were there? Yeah, sure, Mike. Thanks. Thanks for asking me to do this. Um, well, the aim was really to try to bring people's um, attention and their focus to the 12th grade students who have uh, a limited amount of time left, but to try and get them to think not about content to get through, but interventions that might work, that might have a meaningful impact on their attainment. So you know, at whatever level that might be. So high achievers, those in the middle, or those with low, low, uh, you know, low ability students to try and try and raise those interventions. And I'm always conscious when you do these things that you don't want to try and run a session like that and pretend to know all the answers and to try and teach people, uh, student teachers who've been working in the profession for many years and who are excellent professionals, what exactly they should be doing when, um, they, they know it very, very well. Uh, so yeah, that was the main aim. So it was also to provide a forum for sharing ideas and best practice that could be taken to other people. So from, from those discussions you had with other staff, what kind of, did any key themes come out? Any interesting ideas? 
Yeah, well, it, 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 it was remarkable how simple things were. And that's very always great because it's the simple things that often can be uh, easily forgotten. So to give you an example, I spent some time in Nisa's uh, excellent EAL session. And as I was listening to it on that PD day, I realized um, that many of the things that, they, that, that she was talking about were completely relevant to DP2 students, even though that, that her focus was on EAL students, there was no difference. So for example, you know, using the umbrella, the definition of differentiation, that, um, that it's a balance between the academic, academic needs and the skills of students and the individual needs that however whatever level that might be at that you know the, the kind of clarification that is needed for eal students the kind of um, uh, thinking about access to the material that you need to have for eal students is just as relevant for dp2 students in any academic any subject group so that was a real eye-opener eye to me um so that was a really good point um also the other thing was I was conscious of doing this um, PD day, kind of facilitating it in remote circumstances. And so I put a lot of time into trying to make materials that I could show other people that were part of my learning process. For example, how to make a PDF scan of some written work using your mobile phone or how to do a screencast, which may become or may already be very familiar with people. But when you're talking about interventions that might raise attainment for a DP2 student, in remote circumstances, being able to do a good screencast, being able to do a good recording, being able to show them how to PDF a, a piece of handwritten work at home, a high, a, a very can be very useful skills. And you know, as teachers, we're on this incredible learning curve that um, you know remote has, has thrown us into. So it was kind of useful for me personally to make to facilitate this and think about those things, even if I'm well aware that m perhaps many of the people who were in the session or or maybe even weren't, already knew how to do this. It doesn't matter if there's even one person who didn't, then it's a benefit. Mm -hmm. um, a great a great tip, we, we, we shared a document, it was a, it was a combined document um, with ideas, strategies. I looked down the list of strategies and I was like, yeah, there, there's some good things. And one which I hadn't thought of was being able to provide um, verbal feedback, record verbal feedback to, um, to work, rather than have to spend time typing it, but mm -hmm. to actually speak the feedback uh, and record that on documents I thought was a really good a good one and something that I think 12th grade students would, would really appreciate. So those were a few things that, that I learned. Um, Great. And I, I guess a lot of the ideas are good teaching, right? And good teaching is good teaching. doesn't matter whether it's an EAL student or a DP2. So we can share those and remind ourselves of those strategies. That's great. Yeah, absolutely. And, and the simpler, the better. Uh, it doesn't need to be uh, um, complicated or rocket science. Um, like I say, we get so round up in the, the you know, in the getting through the, the syllabus content, making sure the guide is covered, you know, tick boxes, this bit, is this bullet point being covered? We're forgetting that access mm -hmm. to that comes from, you know, so many different angles from students. And so it was, it was an attempt to try and, you know, pr provide a kind of um, reminder to, to us, to, to myself, to, to all of us who are working with DP2 students, grade 12 students, to, to try and have something meaningful in the interventions we have that's beyond just here's the next point on the yeah. course. You mentioned there, is there a document where you gathered the ideas? I wonder if we could share that in the notes of the podcast. Yeah, absolutely. That. So uh, I have a, a drive which is called Raising Attainment for DP2 Students. And in it, 
there is um, the presentation from that day, which has a link to um, a document called Ideas for um, um, Improving Attainment, which has this list. And, and then mm. that, so it's not that extensive, but it's a great, simple, quick checklist reminder and is a reflection of those who got involved on that day. And that might be particularly useful now in the run-up to exams as well, as we're recapping and going back through. To Good, yeah, it, it, yeah, absolutely. In fact, um, when you asked me to, to do this bike, to talk on, on this, I had a look at it and I was like, oh, God, yeah, I've forgotten about that already. So it's amazing how quickly you, you, you can kind of forget, uh, you know, the, the need to have meaningful interventions with the students. Um, so good that you asked us to do this. Great. Thanks for taking the time. And uh, yeah, I will share the, we'll share the document in the notes of the podcast. Thanks, Mike. Cheers. You will see a link in the podcast description to some of the documents James was talking about there. Next up, we've got Susan Cover, who's just given a brief overview of her session on responsive classrooms uh, from the recent PD day. Hi, Susan. Hello. So your session was titled The Responsive Classroom. Um, so could you tell us a bit more about what the responsive classroom is? So responsive classroom is an approach to how we interact with the students and how they behave. And I learned about it because the junior school sent four of their teachers to a training session in Singapore for a week. And they came back and offered a class, uh, a session to show us what it was like and everyone was invited and I went down from the senior school just to see what they were doing with their students so hopefully we could have some consistency moving forward when they come to us and responsive classroom is a way of interacting with the students and the way of the students interacting with each other that includes just how we talk to each other how we organize our procedures how we discipline and also how we, um, in the middle school program, how we approach academic uh, development in, the in our courses. So I went to the meeting and it was really fun and interactive and they just like, instead of just having a slideshow where they told us what they were doing, we actually did what they were doing. So we had a morning meeting question where everybody had to answer, uh, if you could have one magic power, what would it be? And we got to hear what everybody thought and it was really fun. Then they showed us how they implemented the key ideas from responsive classroom in their classrooms, which is mainly through modeling. And so instead of just saying, this is how we're going to do this, you model what you're going to do. You ask the kids to describe what you did, and then you have them practice it. And I think that's a really strong approach because I think a lot of times we expect that kids just know what they're supposed to do. And if they first see it and then get a chance to practice it, I think it really sticks better. So the modeling, the morning meetings, and then um, the last key concept that we went over in that session was the brain breaks, which that's the easiest thing to implement. And that's one thing I do on a regular basis in my lessons is just take a quick and again, this we had to model and I had to start training them to expect it and to know what to do and to understand it's not just a game. It's really just to reset your brain, refocus your brain or re-energize yourself. So we have a little toolkit now in my lessons of different activities of different techniques to refocus, recharge, re-energize. Re and I call them brain breaks. And a lot, some of the kids will ask, can we have a brain break now? So they're starting to become more aware of 
their needs. But the brain breaks are a lot of fun and interactive and you know it's interesting to see how the different classes respond to different activities. So in my workshop, I wanted to share as many of the ideas behind responsive classroom at the middle school level as I could because I had a four day really intensive course that I got a huge amount of materials and ideas and interactions with other teachers about how to use those key concepts of the responsive classroom at a middle school level. And an additional aspect was the um, building academic community. And those ideas I tried to share in my workshop because I think all of us could use more of the strategies that were shared to be able to see what the students are thinking, what they're understanding, what they've comprehended from what they've been asked to read or watch. And it's just not, it's not just straightforward answer these questions, it's taking the ideas you're given and manipulating the ideas a bit to show your understanding or to show, to show your connections. So basically, I really appreciated the chance in those workshops that we had to interact with the different teachers and hear what they thought. And moving forward, I hope that we build on what the middle, the elementary school is doing with this responsive classroom approach because it is, it's just basically good teaching. It's good teaching practice. It helps, I think it helps students learn. It helps you build your community within your room. And I really think the students would benefit from an even more consistent approach to the ideas. So do you have any questions? From or doing comments? the session with, with ISH staff, did, did it seem like there would need to be changes to maybe what you thought, how it would work at ISH, or do you think it is something that we could fit in really easily given our school context? I think from, what, from some of the comments, there would be some resistance from some students or from some teachers. Like they're like, oh, that's just, that's, we've heard that, that's just packaged differently. But I, I agree, I've obviously heard a lot of it before, but having it packaged consistently and very clearly with so many supporting materials and approaches that it would be lovely if we could roll it out. And I think some teachers would be on board, but I also, I think there would be pushback in terms of, oh, we all know that, but I don't think we all do that. Uh -huh. So I would love to see, I don't know how to answer your question. In our context, it would, Unless it had like a clearly defined expectation from somewhere that yes, we are all going to do this, it in our in the context of our school it would be hit and miss. And that continuity would be a key part of it, wouldn't it, from the lower school to the, to the secondary school as yes, well? Yes, because the sixth grade, the sixth like this year, the sixth graders came in with a lot of these behaviors that they've been practicing for six months. Unfortunately, like one of the key things from the morning meeting is the teacher greets every student as they come in. Well, with the bubble situation, that's not happening. They're mm -hmm. already there. So to try to implement that, I did try to implement that, but there was resistance because they were already in the room. But I think if you can, can even control that aspect that when you come in, the students know you're going to have a greeting, you're going to have a quick check-in, that would be a step in the right direction. And so, there's, like you said, there's lots of materials to support this. Uh, people can obviously come and speak to you. 
where else might they be able to go to find some of this stuff? Is there a website? Yes, or there's a website that was shared on my Google Classroom. I think it's called responsiveclassroom.com. I don't know. I can, if I had known that that would come up, I could have. I could check it. But we can we but can yeah. put it in the we can put it in the podcast okay, notes as yeah, well because there's, there's like, kind of one website where yeah there's a is. website that has links to you know the the academic community building morning meetings advisory. Um, and all kinds of editable worksheets mm -hmm. and guides. Great. Cool. Well, thank you very much, and hopefully we'll see some more responsive classrooms popping up around school uh, over the next year or so. I hope so, too. Great. Thank you. Thanks. So please do get in touch with Susan if you'd like to know more about Responsive Classrooms. And there is a link in the podcast description to the uh, Responsive Classrooms website where you can also get more ideas. Now we've got Des O'Sullivan, who's going to talk us through the importance of active listening in our classrooms and some really useful information for EAL students, but also for students from all, all over the world um, on how we can incorporate some ideas about language into our lessons, particularly to help us with planning and supporting those students. So we've got uh, Des O'Sullivan to talk to us now about active listening and the idea for including this in the podcast just came out of a chat we were having a few months back and, and Des seemed to know a whole lot about this subject and use lots of words I'd never heard before so I was really interested to find out more about active listening. Um, so Des, thanks for, thanks for giving up some of your time to, to talk to the podcast. Um, so the first question really, why, why should we be thinking about active listening? Um, hey Mike, good, good morning. So um, active listening or listening in general is actually a really important skill. There's actually some research that's come out and basically what it says is that um, adults spend about 40 to 50% of the time, um, their communication time listening. 20 to 30% is actually speaking time, 11 to 16% reading and about 9% writing. So you can see there were 40 to 50% of that time is spent on listening, it's really, really important. Um, then also, often people think listening is actually quite a, a passive skill. Even though it's a receptive skill that we need to receive the information, um, it's actually quite an active thing to do um, because we've got two different types of kind of listening that we have. We've got extensive listening, and then we also have intensive listening. So some people go, oh, what, what's that all about? So extensive is like you could be watching um, a Netflix um, video or TV thing, and you are maybe you're engaged in it a little bit, but you're dipping in and out. So that would be an extensive way of listening. Whereas intensive would be, for example, a student could be in the classroom and the teacher is explaining a point and they have to intensively listen to the procedures or possibly the um, content that the teacher is actually delivering to them. So um, both of these things are definitely not a passive thing. They're very intensive at times. So. Um, if we then think about, there's lots of things that we do when we're listening. We are chatting with our family, maybe our classmates. Um, there could be phone calls. Um, we could be listening to as well, obviously to a teacher. Lots of these different things um, 
can create some issues from students, especially if that student is an EEL student. Um, sometimes, for example, a student might get confused between a particular word um, and sometimes phonemes. And phonemes are like certain words, like, for example, uh, I wake at seven or I work at seven. So that wake, work, um, sometimes students can get confused, especially if that student is like a phase one, two, or possibly a three. Um, there may be some ambiguity between exactly what's been actually um, communicated to the other person. Um, so um, often what we do is that when we want to figure out what listening is all about, we need to think about the genre. So genre is really important. Like, for example, um, Mike, have you ever been confused when you're in a train station or at the airport trying to listen to the, the broadcast that's going over? Yeah, especially, especially when it's in German. <laughs> so when we've got those little things, it's really hard because sometimes the words are muffled. And then as well, the students are trying to look at um, or pull out those content words. And content words are normally those nouns, those verbs, those adjectives. And when you're actually listening to something like that in a place, there's not much, um, the clarity is not so great. Um, and then sometimes, maybe if you're in a classroom, you've got some students talking at different places. Um, it can create some difficulties for students um, when they're trying to listen um, to what exactly is being asked of them and what they need to do within that particular task. So I guess that, that kind of understanding of what is happening with listening is really important for us as teachers because then we can actually be thinking about these things, you know, what's going on here and, and how might that affect the way people are listening in our classroom. Yeah, so context is really key. And then you also have to remember what about the schematic, schematic um, language or knowledge a student has of that context? So maybe have that background knowledge, that prior knowledge, or maybe they don't. So then if they don't, you need to try and help and support that student so they can actually figure out what's going on. So when we're listening, we've got like, um, as I go back to what I was talking about a moment ago, um, with the extensive and intensive listening, um, we could be extensive could be for example a student could be in the playground and they hear all these different voices different things overhearing another conversation that's happening and that actually relates back to something which is very important with our EL students and that goes back to this thing called VICS which is our basic interpersonal communication skills and normally these things are the spoken language that we have from day to day. So like small talk, um, saying hello, greetings, um, even just like if you're thinking about a classroom, um, pair work. Um, so, oh, could you pass me that pen? Um, or, or what Google Doc do I need to open there? Oh, what did the teacher say about Google Classroom? All of that's back to the interpersonal communication skills. Normally, students, if they're trying to build that up in a language, it takes them about two years to achieve that. Often, our students actually sound like native speakers, but these they actually don't have a lot of the content vocabulary. Um, 
sometimes they might not actually use the context or the genre which they're in to pick up on clues or conceptual clues go oh this is what has to happen here um, this then also is, makes it even more difficult for a student who might be um, in the student support services um, because context and social clues um, can be a huge, huge um, barrier for them. Um, then we actually get to um, the bit which we're trying to aim for with our students, which is the CALP. And CALP is the Cognitive Academic Language Proficiency. So these often happen, and CALP often happens in academic situations. Um, these are the skills, such as our approaches to learning that we're trying to build um, upon um, that we want our students to build. Um, it often links back to higher order thinking skills. And it, for students to actually achieve this, it takes about five to seven years. So even if, for example, our students exit the EO program after two years, they may have only built up the BICs, but they haven't achieved the count. Mm -hmm. And because they haven't achieved the count, a lot of our students will still continue to struggle with the academic language. Um, some will be fine, but it hasn't actually brought everyone up. Um, so that's why it goes back to the thing where the IB says that everyone, every teacher is a, a language teacher. We really need to grasp that concept and actually really focus on the academic language or content language that our students need. That's really interesting and as well not, not even necessarily an EAL thing but with people coming from different education systems around the world and um, me as me as a British teacher might assume they've, they've done something in the past, they've got that vocabulary um, you know even if they've come from North America where they've been speaking English and maybe they don't because they study different things there. Yep and then also to even how you might speak English will be different from how the South African person will speak English to an Australian, to a Singaporean, to um, somebody from, from India or from Pakistan. Um, we have so many different variances of English um, so sometimes our students will get confused um, not only based on the content that comes across, but also the delivery, the accents that they might not actually have heard beforehand. Mm -hmm. That's really interesting. Um, we've got about one minute left, and I'm just thinking now, okay, this this is all really interesting, and, and I see the relevance of this to what I'm doing in a classroom. What Are there kind of strategies and techniques I can start to bring in which will help with this whole process of active listening, and I guess help with my process of planning a lesson with this in mind? Yeah, there's loads of different ways in which we can actually find solutions to these problems um, to help our students to improve their listening skills. Um, sometimes what I would do is actually first bit, think about the context, the genre. We need to make sure that we embed the, the context of what exactly we're trying to get across. What's the situation? What's the task that needs to be achieved? So that's like the, the big um, whole picture and that's actually come from our thing where we have these top-down processing skills so the top part is the overall picture then we need to think about the bottom-up processes our students need and these are all like the minor little things or all the building blocks that will bring us to that bigger picture so um, content vocabulary is really important um, 
we can actually make this into a really fun activity. Sure, Mike, we, we, we worked on something like that where mm-hmm. we, um, the students picked out certain keywords uh, from a listening activity. And um, we can do this in a, in a very fun, engaging, active way um, where they can actually play a game, but they're also learning from the context. So focusing on this like building blocks so they can build into that bigger picture. But there's things we can also do. Prediction is really important. Predict what's going to come up. Um, we can predict from images, um, headlines, photos. We can also um, think about when they're listening, the clues that the speaker will give to the listener through our discourse markers. And discourse markers would be First of all, second, thirdly, then finally, focus on those little things that will can help the the listener figure out where the um, where the speaker is going. And then there's loads of other things too as well. Exercising on connected speaks uh, speech, um, um, where you can actually think about. Um, um, and a really good way of doing this is a dictogloss. And a dictogloss can be where you have students working in different teams. Um, we read out a short passage to them, and they have to write down all the key words or the key things that you've spoken about. And then they work together in groups to piece these ideas together. So they end up creating their own text. And that's a very important skill, moving from speaking to listening to writing. We need to be really focusing on these little skills to move from um, spoken speech to reported speech to then to more academic speech or to academic writing. That sounds really great. So, you know, it's so important to incorporate in our lesson anyway, but it can also be kind of really engaging activities to to understand the content as it is. Um, Great, Des, thank you so much for, for taking the time to, to speak for the podcast today. It's really appreciated. And Des has said that it's fine for me to say if anybody would like to know more about this to get in touch with him and uh, he'll be happy to help. So Yes, definitely. Please do send those questions. Brilliant. Thanks a lot, Des. Thank you. So that's it for this first episode. Thank you for listening. Um, And thank you very much to everyone who took part and gave up their time to speak for the podcast. And we're just going to end now with a few things we're grateful for. During this time of lockdown, I think it's good to focus on some of the positives. I've been extremely grateful for the technology which has allowed me to continue teaching and continue trying new ideas in the classroom. So we'll hear from a couple more people about what they're grateful for. And yeah, thank you very much for listening. Cheers. I am grateful for good food, a warm home because I'm always cold, and a job that I love. I am excited that our lockdown may soon be over and that I can see all of my students in person again, really soon, I hope. I'm grateful for all the students who are still giving their all in really difficult situations. They're still showing up for lessons, they're still engaged, and they're trying their best. So keep up the great work. It's very heartening to see.